This is Joe, and you're listening to the Reengineered You. If you keep up with soccer, then today the U.S. has moved on in the first bracket of the FIFA World Cup. It comes into the box again, an Iranian player looking for a penalty, and the game is over. Today is also significant because international news broke when the chief of the World Cup publicly recognized that between 400 and 500 migrant workers have died as a result of doing projects in preparation in Qatar. Now, this is probably much, much lower than the actual numbers. Todd and I did an episode about this a year back where we talked about the potentially thousands of deaths that have occurred in Qatar, where they have pushed outside laborers from other countries to do grueling work in the heat to the point of collapse, heart attack, and death. We're going to play that episode for you because, well, it's in the news right this moment, and it felt very, very germane. Gao Sing Rai was 20 years old when he died. His family had barely scrimped enough money to send him to Qatar for a job. It cost them $1,300, which they paid to a recruitment agent to get Gal and in at the labor camps. He was supposed to start working as a cleaner for the camp. He had been promised enough money to repay his recruiter and his family within the first year of work. And why wouldn't he believe it? Qatar is rich. Qatar is the richest country in the world per capita. And they've been hiring migrant workers by the thousands since they were awarded the privilege of hosting the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Bagasing Rai must have realized the promise of fair pay was a trap. Because within seven days of arriving, Gal took his own life. Two months ago, the Garden reported on the short, brutal lives of immigrant workers in Qatar. For years, there had already been a steady stream of news about poor labor conditions in Doha, the capital of Qatar, especially among Indian, Nepalese, and Bangladeshi migrants who were being tricked into flying in for high-paying construction jobs, only to find recruitment agent fees, overtime without pay, and security deposits that wiped out their salary. But now, Qatar is under pressure to build faster, build more, and build now. After bidding for the privilege of hosting the World Cup, Qatar found itself in need of stadiums capable of handling all 64 games in the tournament, an average 50000 per game. Qatar had piles of money, and one of the largest natural gas and oil reserves in the world, but not a FIFA-level stadium. So Qatar started construction on not just one stadium, but stadiums, eight stadiums in total. And you could track the progress of all eight stadiums on the official FIFA website. Eight stadiums built for an estimated three million tourists being built outside, where the average temperature in the summer is around 100 degrees and peaks 
at 122. The FIFA website doesn't list the migrant deaths associated with the FIFA stadium projects, but we have the number right here for you. The number of young, fit, golfing rise who have died of quote-unquote natural causes is over 6,500. 6,500 young, skilled laborers dead in Qatar. The 9-11 fatalities in the Twin Towers was half of that. You're listening to The Reengineered You. This is a podcast about self-empowerment and all the myths, lies, and misconceptions we tell ourselves. Then, we use science and history to bust those myths and re-engineer a better you. I'm your host, Todd Laments, the extrovert. And I'm the writer, researcher, and introvert, Joe Anthony, whose job it is to dig through the outer layer of no dawn the internet and get to the facts. This is going to be part one of a special two-part episode looking at the cultural, societal benefits of international sports. In part one, we'll look at how big venues like FIFA and the Olympics affect the individual. And in part two, we'll look at how hosting an international sporting event can have economic ripples for your hometown and your country. So look for that next week. The Guardian estimates that Qatar paid a little under $200 million in untraceable public funds for the right to host the World Cup. England, by comparison, bid $24 million, which some of you might notice is not 200 Funny thing is, England was criticized by its citizens for being excessive when it bid that $24 million. And that's just a start of Qatar's shadiness with FIFA. By some estimates, this upcoming World Cup will cost over $220 billion, with a B, by the time Qatar is ready to host. That $220 billion will go into stadiums, training facilities, air conditioners, and a whole new city to surround one of the eight stadiums during the opening match. $220 billion. South Africa spent $3.5 billion to be ready for the 2010 World Cup. The old, tired argument that hosting international sporting events pays for itself in tourism is completely out the window, thanks to Qatar. According to Investopedia, countries who lack the initial infrastructure shouldn't even bother bidding on FIFA or the Olympics. Because anytime your country has to break new grounds on coliseums, plural, that should be a warning that your local labor population is about to be turned into slaves hauling blocks up a pyramid. If you don't believe us, that's fine. Because during this two-part episode, we want to bust a few myths about international sports. Myths like, myth one, the Olympics... FIFA, and sports in general are good for morale. We all cheer when the guy wearing our flag skates across the ice really fast. So where's the harm? Myth 2. Hosting an international sporting event is a privilege for the host 
country and a boost to the economy. Just look how prosperous Salt Lake is or Sochi. Myth three. So what's the benefit in the long run to international sports? Is it all just bread and circuses to keep the largest masses entertained in the biggest arena possible? So, uh, Todd, have you heard of the Josh fight in Nebraska? Josh fight? No. So it was a, a quote-unquote sporting event where um, a guy on Facebook named Josh wanted to find out who the real Josh was, and he invited everybody named Josh on Facebook to a fight in Nebraska. To fight each other? Yeah. <laughs> a, a battle of supremacy, if you will. Um, meathead Josh's. <laughs> It, it wasn't just meatheads. Just so, so, so many people showed up. It, it looked like, like goofy, uh, a combination of like Woodstock and like a New Zealand fair. It was weird. Everybody was armed with a pool noodle. That's how they fought each other. Boy, sounds fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Guess who won? Josh. Josh won. <laughs> so that's that's the kind of research I do all day. Uh, um, I I get into weird, goofy niche stuff. Weirdo is what you are. Uh-huh. That, that's my speed of sports. Um, Am I laughing with you or at you? I don't know. Both. It can be both. Um, but that's... Okay, so I, I do research on the internet pretty much all day, every day. That's kind of my jam. Um, I had heard about deaths in Qatar. There's there's old Saturday Night Live skits where they're like... They started every single news desk episode with the phrase, Trouble in the Middle East. And then like... Then they'd continue with other news, but that that was the joke. Is it was so common to hear about it? It flew under people's radar. Um, this thing in Qatar was like that for me. Like I, I heard the phrase, you know, uh, migrants dying in Qatar, and I was like, I don't know what Qatar is. I know it's a Middle East country. I, I don't know what that means. It sounds to me like Saturday Night Live saying trouble in the Middle East. Qatar is a tiny, rich country. How small? 2.8 million people. Highest per capita in the world. Not a country that should be hosting a major sporting event. Now, why would a country want to host the Olympics or FIFA, this World Cup? It's a huge trophy for your country. For your country, it's a huge puts you on the puts you on the stage of all the developed nations, the most powerful nations in the world. But 2.8 people is not very big. It makes your country look like you're a world leader. And soccer, FIFA, is the most popular sport in the world. So, like, super rich and super small, that's what Qatar is. And when you get into oil money, old money like that, billionaire money, sometimes you lost touch with reality, even more than the millionaires of the rest of the world. Okay. How do they have so much money? Oil. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, the I was sorry. The, the, I was I was thinking that'd be too stereotypical of an answer. Like I'm just like Middle East must be oil. I was like I didn't want to get dragged Good online or, or thought of yeah. I need to get a smarter partner. <laughs> <laughs> it is oil. Okay. So, uh, one thing I want to talk to everybody about before we go along in our show notes, there's a link to a Guardian article. When there's six thousand five hundred people died. You, Joe, and I, you know from our studying that we get calloused. It's too big a number. We can't digest all that. Right. We had an episode where we discussed, um, uh, it was our uh, uh, yeah, empathy episode. No, not empathy. What was it? 
It was um, yeah, Grant and Compassion, and we found out that once you go over one person, like if a narrative is more than one person, one person suffering, our brain starts to callous. It burns out that circuit. And so once we hit 6,500 like this, it gets crazy, right? Take a quick second. Um, go to the Guardian article in our show notes. Scroll to the bottom. There is a picture of 20-year-old Gaussing Rai. You'll notice a picture of him. He's 20 years old, Joe. He looks like he's 15. He's just a sweet kid. And I think he went there and lost his life. It'll put this all in context, too, that there's 6,500. I even hate that number, 6,500. A little too even, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, seeing him, seeing the the people, uh, like the Guardian has a couple of individual stories, and it is heart-wrenching. Qatar, in order to pull off this World Cup, they have this come into town. They've got to get busy. They need to they need to build seven new stadiums. They have dozen of major projects. Now, what? How big are projects? The projects they have underway is a new airport, all new roads, a whole new public transportation system, hotels for all these tourists to stay. Remember, Joe, this is two point eight million people. They needed two million people of a migrant workforce to build this, to make this all happen. That is wild. So if let's just say, I know we have more people than 300 million, that'd be like 200 million people in America coming, migrant workers, to build. <laughs> Can you imagine, where would they live? Well, uh, labor camps apparently. I mean, if we're going by Qatar's model, we 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 give them a temporary space and we we send in cleaners and... We hope they don't die in the heat. And if you're Qatar, you call that natural causes, I guess. I can't even imagine. It was being ungodly. Hell on earth. But Joe, from the research, why does the world love and need sports so much? So we're going to hopefully walk through this uh, like an alien. Uh, I hope you're okay with that. We're, we're gonna, we're, we are a UFO... And we are landing in a, a children's soccer field with, like, drunk dads yelling, you know, get it. <laughs> um, why do we have international sports? Why why are we so competitive? What's the harm, really? Like, like if we're looking at a, you know, a kid on a soccer field, or if we're looking at a guy wearing our flag, like, skating really fast across ice, or, like, Michael Phelps, like, like I was excited watching michael phelps i know nothing about swimming when when he won his medals yeah i was learning alongside everybody else i get worked up during olympic events of sports like cross-country ski stuff i have never done or even i don't know who any of these athletes are right (laughs) my heart starts pounding i'm glad you said that phrase um so one of the things that uh, I looked into was how many physical things can you actually live vicariously through with sports? One of them was actually heart attacks. So uh, this comes from uh, Vox. Vox did a, a uh, the article is sports fan psychology. Um, and they talked about how uh, you can, during very, very tense moments when people are living vicariously through their teams, they have suffered heart attacks before just purely from the adrenaline of it, like standing, cheering, and then boom. Oh, wow. Um, now, you, you, one might ask, you know, why, why does... It's, it can't just be that, like, every sports fan is screaming because it's their kid on the field. Like, that'd be one thing. That'd be, you know, if we're an alien looking at humans, we're like, well, they must really have something invested in that player wearing the number, you know, 17 or whatever. 
Um, but no, we don't have actual stakes in what's going on on the field. Um, what is happening is, um, have you ever heard the term uh, mirror neurons? No. Okay, so they are brain cells that are active when you are carrying out actions like shooting a basketball or something. Mirror neurons can also fire off when you're watching somebody else do it. So um, it, it's it helps humans sort of adapt to a, a task. Like if if you are ancient man and you're watching another dude throw a spear and you've never seen that before and you're like, oh my God, he just got a woolly mammoth with a stick. I wonder if I can do that. Your body tensing and like making that grab motion like you're going to pick up a spear and do it. That is a mirror neuron reaction. That is your body being like, okay, let's do it too. Let's try this. I get in that state when I watch football. Yeah. My wife asked me to sit down. I even stand up and get in a stance. Yeah. And don't even realize I'm doing it. <laughs> My stress glands start going off. She even tells it. She says, you smell funny when you watch football. Yeah. Because I'm getting stressed for no, uh, for <laughs> just what you're talking about. As, as much of a nerd as I am, uh, I did do martial arts and a bit of MMA when I was in college. And I, I do that when I'm watching like K1 or like some old tournaments and stuff, uh, especially the stressful ones. But um, it, it's the same thing. It is actually, uh, um, you're built to do that. Mirror neurons uh, let you try to uh, physically emulate things that you see. And it, it, it primes you to, uh, to react to somebody else doing an activity, in, in part because it's a really good survival strategy. It, it helped us. Um, also, when your team wins, and this is sort of, uh, this has been a study that's come up over and over again because it's easy to test for hormones in people. You, you swab somebody's cheek and then you have their hormone level. Um, watching your team win will lead to higher testosterone levels in your brain. It skyrockets. So the the aggression hormone, the, the male hormone, that both males and females have, um, but that's the aggression hormone. It, it just poof, it goes way up when you watch a, a big victory. During the NFL season, when my Patriots win, I have a good week. When they lose, I have a bad week. Yep. <laughs> there's a cloud over me, and when there's not, I'm great. Good posture, chest out. <laughs> You're Superman when your team's won. Only for, yeah. for a week. I stuff people into lockers when my team wins. Like, <laughs> I, I get way too aggressive. Um, something funny, though, is is if you ever hear somebody, if you ever have like a hipster in the office and they, they listen to NPR and they don't, they don't follow sports at all, kind of like me, um, if they claim this doesn't happen to them, they, they don't follow a team, just bring up politics. Like the exact same reaction, the mirror neurons, the testosterone following a team, that all happens when you get a, a political victory too. So That's so funny you say that because every time there's, and I, just, I joke about this because we're pretty non-political, both of us, but when there is a big election, I watch it like a sporting event. Yeah. With all the different scores and stats. And <laughs> it's it's exactly the same as watching Who's a sports winning? broadcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have a victory speech at the end. And oh, totally. Fingers. Like, like, you can see the same things in a political rally as in sports. Like, people are holding those foam fingers. People are holding up things that they bought there. Fist pumping. Right. They're tense with gear being they, sold. They hate the other side. Right, exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, gamifying politics. We'll we'll have an entire episode someday about how how much that has hurt politics. But um, yeah, that is that is the total benefit when we're talking about 
why international sports is important for humankind. Um, that's the small benefit. That's you know on the individual level, you feel like a winner when you're when you're when your champion wins for your country or when your team wins for your country in FIFA, you feel like you just won and that lasts for like a week. Um, the, there is also sort of something to be said about you know it brings a country together to cheer for somebody to to cheer for a team. You know, if we're talking like, uh, or or it makes a country go into a state of mourning in case of like the Munich massacre or something, um, but just generally speaking, we're we're looking at country morale and the individual that that feels pumped up for you know a period of time after brings us all together to be on the same team. It totally does. Yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna lessen that or cheapen that. This this podcast may eventually turn into. It may sound like a two-part episode of us bashing on international sports. There really is a positive to it. It, it does bring people together. Um, so we want to look at both the individual as a fan, but do you want to take a look at what the, the life of an Olympic athlete is like? I've always wondered, yeah. Their life's probably a lot different. They probably eat a lot cleaner than I do. One would think... I always imagined, like... I, I, for some reason, because I have never looked at a, a, um, a documentary about the Olympics, I was imagining like the locker room of a baseball, uh, uh, stadium. Like, like I was imagining like a tub full of ice. I was imagining rub downs by people who know what they're doing. I was thinking that it would be like, you know, a bunch of dudes getting on a, a world-class bus, like a tour bus together, um, that is not it. Like I, I, I was, I had copy pasted that into my brain for no reason. That's a few and far between. That's Michael Phelps only. That is actually more like FIFA. Like FIFA, uh, when we talk international sports, not all international sports are created equal. FIFA, the soccer program, soccer football. Uh, if you're American, it's soccer. If you're not American, it's football. Um, FIFA as a football organization, um, they they do travel more like that, depending on the country that is sending their their players. Yeah, they're rock stars. Yeah, they are more like rock stars. Um, the money they make is, it may not sound huge, but it really depends country to country where they come. They're treated well. Oh, they're, they're, dry, they're flying in jets. They don't tie their own shoes. They don't comb their hair. They don't brush their own teeth. They, <laughs> they just play football. You know? Right. They, they dribble a soccer ball while somebody's doing all of that. Um so we uh, this this comes from a um, I I love uh, cracked and so I got a, some of these points from a cracked article. Some of these we will reference as we go, um, but it's basically uh, reasons being the Olympics is a nightmare. Um, so this one is going to come up over and over again. I had never really imagined this, but um, money money is the biggest issue a Olympic athlete faces. So your job is like the Olympics of old. You're supposed to play your sport and rally a country together. And, and as a non-sports guy, I'll explain this to you, Joe. Please. Um, the Olympics is, there's some exceptions, but for years it's been only amateur athletes. Pros, once you turn professional, you're making an income. You're not allowed to participate in the Olympics. Now that's changed. They have some basketball. They have some people that do it now. The baseball, but not every sport. So these people literally have been doing this for 20 years since they were five and haven't made a cent yet. Right. Um, yeah, before the Olympics, they, they are, by definition, the Olympics is supposed to be non-professional, right? 
Correct. And it's peaking. So if they do well at this Olympics, they get sponsorships and they're like lottery winners. But if they don't, <laughs> it's it's poverty for the rest. Because let's face it, their life skills are what? <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, we're gonna oh we're gonna get into that. Like the but but the other part of it is too. Um, what if they are not the, what if they're not in an Olympic that transfers into another sport? Like if you are a Olympic boxer, you go into boxing after, right? If you are doing, uh, cracked uses the, the, uh, dressage as, uh, their example, that's horse dancing. If you, if you don't find a venue for dressage afterward, <laughs> or like, like I've never gone to a, uh, a shot putting, uh, event in, in uh, Portland. Like, it's not like there are some of these that you will see in professional sports. It's less lucrative, I guess, than baseball, basketball. <laughs> right. Yeah. Baseball, basketball, you, you just get put into a team. Yeah. Uh, um, horse dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so. Of all the Olympic sports, very few of them actually have a professional life after the Olympics. Almost all of them basically become, uh, you know, they're bankrupt by the time they get to the sport because their their family is paid through the nose to get them their equipment and get them bus rides to wherever they need to practice and wherever their their events are. Um, by the time the Olympics is over, they have proven they can be a superhuman, basically, and they have almost nothing to show for it. Um so uh, the Olympics themselves, as a nonprofit organization, they have an annual budget of about 170 million, which is actually quite small. 170 million for all of those athletes that they send each year. Um, so they own, the stipends they they give to people are shockingly low. A top ramen and really shitty Airbnbs sounds like. Right. So a, a discus thrower, uh, they only got about 15k a year from their activities from from doing discus and that includes sponsorship prize monies stipends the the olympic stipend so like they're making 15k that's less than minimum wage in the state uh, annually and for a pro athlete that's that's grocery money on the low end right exactly they're eating all of that in like protein powder (laughs) um so what do what do Olympians do? Well, they they do what the rest of us do when they run out of money. They Kickstarter. There is a website called RallyMe.com. So literally, if you go there, it's kind of it's it's cool. It's heartfelt to see their stories, but it's also a little bit sad because you're just looking at all these people. Like you, you compare the two, Olympic athletes who are at the top of their game, begging for money like it's Kickstarter, and then compare that to like FIFA. Where they're they're riding in buses and they're they're getting rub downs and they're they're sitting in ice baths. Well, I remember I was up in Seattle and, and on the evening news there was a a part about a woman who was going to be a shot putter in the Olympics and she'd passed Olympic trials. And I remember saying that she was a big lady, big and strong. And she said all the food I've been eating has been from food banks. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just like shit. <laughs> That's a lot of food. That's a lot of food. But she has to go to a whole bunch of them all over Seattle to to keep up. Right. And keep they, the calories in. We also want to sort of recognize a bit of an elephant in the room. Um, if you're an Olympian uh, and you are a female Olympian, you will get um, a few percent less screen time when TV covers you. So if you're like Michael Phelps or if you're a, a um, in a well-regarded sport, a sport that is um, popular... You'll get enough screen time to where you can expect sponsors. Uh, if you are um, like an Olympic runner, 
those people get get some TV. Like they actually get get featured sometimes, um, or like snowboarding or something exciting. Uh, if you are in a boring sport, and especially if you are female, you will get almost no screen time. Um, this also came from the same article. They talked about how feminine events get the most amount of time. Feminine in quotes. Basically, that means TVs will air you if you're in swimsuits. So women's volleyball, uh, women's beach sports, those get a heck of a lot more airtime. But you're paid less and it's sex sexist at its best exactly you you in total not from the stipend but generally you get paid less you don't get screen time unless you're in a bikini basically uh and good luck um effectively building a career afterward that involves your sport well you're probably too young to remember this but do you remember the tanya harding nancy kerrigan's uh figure skating scandal i i watched i tanya so I, i i remember the movie now, what happened from that, because of, I'm not going to go into the whole thing that happened, but there was a huge scandal and there was an injury. They started, they were getting the higher rankings from just watching the figure skaters warm up than they were from the other live <laughs> gold medal events. So the unfortunate athletes who, who, who had worked their whole life to be on TV, who usually would be, because that was such good press, they, they weren't showing at all that year. That is wild. Um. So yeah, if if you Olympics are Olympics is not fair at all. Yeah, that's what we're saying is is you can't go into the Olympics thinking that you are going to make any kind of livable money or livable wage. You are basically going to be serving your sport until you are ejected and then your retirement looks like well we'll get to that that it it's bleak. Um so we also want to recognize that um Depending on what sport you're in, there is also the health risks. So if you think fifteen thousand uh, dollars a year for a a shot putter or a discus thrower is too much, you also add in the fact that like concussions are a very very high risk in any Olympic sport, especially synchronized swimming when they get kicked in the head all the time. Um, and there are also um, weird psychological things that can happen. Um, this article brought up something called target panic which I've heard drummers get this too. Okay, so they don't talk about drummers in this article, but so um, archers and shooters in the Olympics, they will they will train to shoot a target over and over and over again with such an insane repetition that it makes us it makes them look like robots compared to us weak, you know, pale fleshy creatures. They will once in a great while they will freeze up while they're trying to sight down the target. Like their brain is just like I've done this too much, I'm sorry. And then it malfunctions or, or a wire gets crossed or something. Shorts out. Yeah. And they either shoot way too early. Like like as soon as they look at the target, they bang, pull it, uh, the trigger or release the, the arrow. Or they freeze and they can't shoot at all. Can you believe that? They, After all those years, you think it'd just be muscle memory and mind memory. And it just right. it fails you at the worst possible time. The biggest stage in the world, your big chance. Right, exactly. And that's it. And it's blown. It's all over because you had one small you know, short. This isn't a, um, an, an uncommon thing either. Apparently, pretty much everybody who does a shooting sport encounters this. In fact, it is so common, um, uh, a, a extraordinarily similar psycho, uh, psychological event happens to drummers. So uh, the drummer for the Black Keys... Uh, talked about this exact phenomenon where he would be playing, he's practiced millions of hours, and he will just sort of feel like he is about to get out of timing with his drum set, 
and then he'll have the same thing happen. He'll freeze. So that's just like a, this should be involuntary, like breathing to them. And it's not because they're nervous. It's just yeah, it's it's they've done it too much, and and they can freeze. Um, so we're we want to we we threw out that fifteen thousand a year thing for um you know discus and shot put. Um, I actually have the numbers here if you want to hear it. Like, how much can we earn as Olympic medalists? <laughs> You're going to be an archer. I don't know what I'm going to yeah. be. <laughs> uh, I, I, I would a probably. competitive eater. Is that a what? I could do the horse dancing thing. That's probably harder than it okay, sounds. Okay, we're, we're both going into dressage. We're both doing horse dancing. I don't care what anyone says. I could so beat you at horse dancing. It's it looks funny. It, watch the videos, everybody. Go on YouTube, look up dressage. It looks glorious. Well, I, I'm in. Um, so gold medalists, if we are a gold medalist, according to 2018 data, um, gold medalists earn 37,000 a year, 37,500 for the year that they compete. Um, silver medalists about 22,500 and a bronze medalist comes home with about 1500. So like if, I mean, if unless you're gold, you might as well get a job at Amazon boxing things, right? <laughs> well, yeah, and you've been doing this since you're four and a half years old, and your parents have spent half a million dollars on your horses, your training, your your hotel rooms, your fees to get into every, different contests. Right. <laughs> you didn't just drive over there and stuff. You've been doing this forever. I think another thing too that we're missing here is. Every Olympic athlete, I guarantee Joe, has had a shoulder surgery, a knee surgery, hip problems. Right. Yeah. Every every one of them comes home with an injury and a medal. And if you don't have that medal and you made that 15K instead or lower, then you're coming home poor and with an injury and a good story. Um, in fact, there is a, a phrase for this. There's, there's an old phrase called, uh, it's athletes die twice. And the the second death is, you know, first it's after their their Olympics or after their game is done, their their career is done. And then the second time is, of course, you know, at the end of the life. There's um, OK, so Michael Phelps. I want to talk about this because everyone thinks that uh, Olympic gold medalists live like Michael Phelps, that he is worth, you know, 80 million dollars. He is. I looked that up. Um that that's every gold medalist. Even, you know, anyone that wins a gold must have their life set up, or at least to get sponsorships. Um, that is not true. Like like most people, unless they really capitalize on their popularity and they have someone to manage their money for them, um, most medalists just retire. Um, there was a, a one story. Um, Susie Favor Hamilton. Um, she was a three time medalist runner, and she became a call girl. You can you can sort of look up her news stories if you want. Um, there's also an article we're going to link to this. Uh, it's about it's from the BBC. It's about um, the uh, British teams that came home after one of the Olympics, and almost all of them went to job fairs and like they saw each other, like these these Olympic medalists and these Olympic oh. you know team team players. They saw each other at job fairs and like talk to each other while they're trying to get jobs in in you know in the country during well, a recession well for starters that's sad to become an escort after being such a you know world-class athlete but can you imagine all these guys at a job fair and they're asking what you could do you can say i can, I can run a 40 at 4.2 right yeah oh i'm i'm a i'm a superhuman like like i i am the best that you know humanity can offer uh, take your shirt off right so i can do this right <laughs> So there's no retirement plan for an Olympian. Most of them have to actually like figure out what they want to do with their lives when they get home. 
and it's just like everybody else. Some of them don't figure it out. Some of them, like it, it is as wildly varied as if they had all been born after the Olympics. If they were just born and they had, or they had just graduated high school, that's more accurate. I think people are going to kick back and say, oh, but they're doing what they love. I promise when you've done any sport this much, you've dulled it down to the little micro movements and stuff. You've got taken all the fun out of this by now. You're probably sick and tired of it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing what they love. Tell that to the archer who is sweating because he just got target failure or, or target focus and he can't shoot the arrow he has been. Yeah. Doing doing what you love is is all well and good right up until you are in a shrink's office saying you can't do it. Um, so by comparison, international sports, um, we're talking FIFA today. We're talking FIFA and Olympics. Um, but the the reason why is they both have the same kind of impact on people's lives and economies and you know the where they choose to host their their event. Um, FIFA athletes individually, they seem to fare a little bit better. Uh, like you said, they, they make more money. Um, the countries, uh, uh, that pay them seem to pay them more equitably. Uh, I mean, they're, they're, they're sports stars, literally. Um, in FIFA, men are paid, uh, 25K to 300K, roughly. Uh, the average is about 40. Um, and the women are paid 25 to 300. Oh, sorry. The, the average for men is 60. The average for women is 40. So um, it, it's even worse than the... It's, it's Actually, it's pretty close to the, the 70 cents on the dollar or whatever. It, it's, it, that still carries over to FIFA. So uh, women are paid less than men in average. Um, and the top uh, earners in FIFA are just over the, the top. Like the amount of money they get is ridiculous. I wonder what the difference is in television revenue, though, because I, there's I know that a lot more people watch men soccer than women. Yeah, I, I that holds out. I'm not. We don't have to look that number up. I I am just know that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely certain. Yeah, after not studying they the should, Olympics, not that it's more entertaining, but <laughs> yeah. Um. So this comes from a Forbes article. I looked up just what the top earners in uh, FIFA are, just for my own knowledge. Um. So, uh, uh, Messi just resolved a, uh, contract drama, um, and he came away with about 126 million. Um, there is a player named, uh, Juventus Ronaldo, uh, he, at number two, he's 117 million. Um, and then, um, one of the parents, uh, Paris, uh, St. Germain strikers, um, he is at about 48 million. So that, 25k to 300k that is roughly in the average but you the professional fifa players who are like strikers especially um they do really really well the best in the world right so um yeah if you're on an olympic team and you look over you know you're you're commanding the same kind of crowd you're on the world stage and then you look over and see these guys making you know tens of millions of dollars and you have to go on to a basically a Kickstarter to ask for your next set of ski poles. It cannot feel the same. Like that can't be gratifying. You can see him eating Ronaldo's leftovers, right? He away. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Like when they throw him off the bus, yeah. somebody's there to grab have him. And it's the food. Olympic, yeah, <laughs> the Olympic dog players. eat that. <laughs> <laughs> so, if we're talking FIFA, how like Qatar? 
they went to such trouble from what I could tell. Like they bid higher, they nudged out their competitors. They really fought for hosting FIFA. Why? Like why why'd they do it and why was it such a controversy? First of all, they over overbid it. You know, England had this bid of twenty four or thirty million, whatever. And they were criticized by why are we that what is that money going to? I mean, why do we have to pay that much to host this event? We already have to do all these things to our city. Why should it be that high? They blew them out of the water, not even close. They they didn't overbid it fifty million. They bid it two hundred million. So so Britain, like it, it was their own citizens that were like, "This is too much." Twenty twenty something is too much, and then Qatar is like, "Hold our beer." Now keep in mind how much England loves soccer. Oh yeah, yeah I mean it's not like they don't they, they don't have a love for the sport. They're crazy about it. They right. would love to host the World Cup, just like France did. France hosted the World Cup and won it the year they were hosting it, which is like the wildest party ever. But back to Qatar. Qatar is just like a rich kid, a rich kid who has too much money to spend. I talked about before, the population is only 2.8 million people. It in just square footage is not very big. You know how small the state of Delaware is? Mm-hmm. It's like two Delawares. That's it. Okay. So that's probably why you haven't heard of it. From the Guardian article, they estimate, and it's not all traceable public funds, that 200 million was spent. And they also think there's probably some private money that was kicked up to different people in the organization. Okay. So Untraceable. 200 million that people know of, basically. There's a lots of reports, four years of lots of lots of corruption in FIFA. Um, there's bribes, there's no paper trail of that we will never know about. See, I I didn't know any of that. Like I, I knew I knew of FIFA as an American from like my European friends who would go nuts every once in a while when like the cup was on and then they like games like soccer games that I didn't want to play on like PlayStation and that was it I I did not expect this to be like the the Olympics of corruption almost literally (laughs) it is and and just because you have the most money bid the most money doesn't mean you're the best country to promote that sport you know if you have in any other big country like Tokyo Germany America it's probably better for the overall promotion and especially when you have a country that's so small with only 3 million people that you have to bring in 2 million people you don't have air- i mean they're building airports joe for wow. a soccer matches <laughs> that's like a military that's that's that sounds like a, less like a soccer match more like they're setting up a base so if they started with that level of corruption they i'm guessing they have had media eyes on them the entire time this started so the deaths were probably reported early 6,500 people died. So you would think that they're doing this to get good press to promote their country, that this would be bad news, to the point that FIFA would decide to pull out of the country, right? Sure. Like, they, it's got to be killing their business. The committee organizing the event for the World Cup, when they asked about these things, all these deaths, they gave the politically correct, we deeply regret all these tragedies. We've investigated each of them, to ensure that we've learned lessons. We've always been transparent, and they dispute inaccurate claims about the number of the workers that died in their projects. So they just gave this, oh yeah, we're looking into it, and these are probably not being accurate correctly. They're they're being exaggerated. Wow, okay. Now a lot of these violent deaths, 
people getting knocked to their death, falling, heat stroke, were all reported as natural cause deaths. Joe, healthy construction worker people, young, in their prime, hard workers, natural deaths. How many 30-year-olds do you know just dropped dead? Wow, that is wild. So if we are are strictly talking about good press and, and good branding, why the heck would they choose Qatar over, say, like... Like, I would imagine Britain or France would have... Uh, um, it would look better for them. Like they've got infrastructure and they've got, you know, uh, well, effectively democracies. The more soccer fans, period. Right. <laughs> Lots of soccer fans and, and uh, uh, an open government. Well, not everyone in this FIFA organization is, they're better at taking cash than they are being very smart. The secretary general, he admitted, he slipped up and admitted that FIFA doesn't like dealing with democracies, Joe. No shit. <laughs> they prefer monarchies and dictators. You know why? Because there's less red tape. They don't have to get a lot of people to sign off on it. They can just have one person say, this is the way it's going to be. So for them, they can just take all the bribe money and get it done. Wow. And they admitted that. Yeah, but publicly did. I just think it's crazy. But they just think less democracy is better for uh, organizing a World Cup. Okay. Well, I would think that the shadiness of Qatar's bid should have been a bit of a warning about the human rights that were inbound, like the violations. Um, But we're going to have to save that for part two. Um, We're doing, we're, we're putting this into a two, a two parter where international sports part two will be all about sort of the economic uh, benefits and the, um, the negatives of hosting an event. And because the re-engineered you is about self-improvement, we're really going to focus on how this affects the the small local economy and how we can change it. I mean, like literally, you and I, Todd, as as aliens landed on this planet watching a kid's soccer tournament, we can actually um, change the trajectory of FIFA pretty easily. Like I was shocked at how you know how simple it was. Um, but really, really quick, I wanted to talk about. Um, the, the weirdness that happens when Olympics come to town. <laughs> this one's great. I had never heard this. So usually when I get our talking points for the show and points we want to make, I go and I, I bring this up to people. A lot of people knew this. As soon as I started talking about it, they completed my sentence. <laughs> well, this is what happens. 10,000 testosterone-filled athletes go to these, to these camps where they have all the, they put all the athletes together. Now, they're away from their family, they're away from their spouses, they're away from all their coaches. They live a very structured life at home. They right. train and they sleep. They train and they sleep, right? So now they're around all those other athletes. Well, they start having sex with each other, Joe, like <laughs> rabbits. <laughs> it's this big, Olympic, beautiful-bodied orgy. <laughs> I, I secretly suspect that's what the Romans had planned the entire time. Like, I didn't think that. I thought that they were so, because this was their peak of their career, they were so laser-focused that they're not going to waste it by having sex, staying up all night having sex. I was totally <laughs> wrong. They have issues with used condoms being everywhere. And then people who are in, in different rooms, you can't sleep because everyone's having sex and everyone's moaning. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like fun, doesn't it, Jeff? <laughs> I remember uh, 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 
in Sochi, like they're talking about how um, they were trying to catch people having sex, like their coaches were trying to catch them. And so to avoid that, they would pitch the condoms out onto a nearby rooftop. <laughs> and like, so there was, I remember a, a, a picture online of like some poor guy with a rake just out there on a rooftop. And that's, yeah. Is the, Joe, is this what writer groups are like too? <laughs> maybe the maybe the the winning like the the contest <laughs> the New York Times bestselling ones right. in a Manhattan hotel room. <laughs> George R. R. Martin once wrote in in a book of his like he wrote a short story collection. He said that that writing contests like the winning ones those were the same thing. It was just a bunch of smart people getting together and hooking up. But I can see Ernest Hemingway having lots of hookups. Oh, totally. Yeah. So um, I, I took one of from one fun fact from this this article we're going to link to, which is things they don't want you to know about the Olympics from Cracked. Uh, the one that I I picked out was um, uh, it becomes a police state. We'll talk about this a bit in the next episode, but um, the idea that like during the um, during one of the Olympics in Britain, anybody who put uh, any words of the Olympics, like any slogans, the the symbol of the rings, whatever. So like mom stores that were nearby would try to like cash out on the Olympics. Anyone that had Olympic stuff would get fined, a huge fine. We'll talk about that in the next episode. So they can't cash in on their, what's supposed to be tourism. Right. These yeah. people are coming in, they're puking on your on your storefront, using your bathroom. <laughs> you can reap those sweet tourism dollars. You cannot uh, make any money off the Olympics uh, intellectual property. Well, they haven't made enough money with their $200 million bribes, Joe. They're, they're hurting. Right, exactly. That's like an Ed Medfin $200. What is What are they paying for? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Oh man! So we that is that is the next episode. So if you're tuning in next week, uh, come back and we will talk about um, what international sports does to your uh, local area, why it turns your town into a police state if they show up there in Salt Lake, if you're in Salt Lake, and um, what we can do to uh, sway FIFA and Olympics to host in sustainable areas that already have the infrastructure. So we'll see everybody next week. We're not experts in anything, but we've got an opinion on everything.